0: chapter 2 verse 6 the word of the Lord says for it stands behold I am laying in Zion's stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so that honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that is that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of defense Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, this is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
0: God, we come before you. We're so grateful that you hear us that you are excited that we are here tonight. You're smiling. You're excited that your people have come to worship you and to hear from you, God. I pray right now for Pastor Anthony as he preaches your word, Lord. It's the five o'clock. He's been preaching all day. I'm sure he's tired. God, I pray you'll give him energy, that you will sustain him. And God, that um, if the enemy, even in this moment, is throwing lies at him, that you will hide him behind the cross of Jesus, that he will remember that he's loved by you no matter what. God, I pray for your people here tonight, that they will remember that their identity uh, rests in you. God, I pray for the people here tonight that may not believe in you. Maybe they're skeptical. God, we're so glad that they're here tonight. God, I pray in your grace and in your mercy, you will reveal yourself to them in whatever way you choose. God, I pray that your spirit will move among this place tonight. And I know it will because you are inhabiting your people. You dwell with us and we're so grateful for that. So we give this time to you. Lord, it's yours. Do what you want with it. We surrender to you. Now we surrender to your word. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You guys can be seen.
1: He's kind of looking around the room when everybody was coming in. He's like, you know, because of the rain, because of maybe some football, might be a smaller crowd. But Pastor Anthony, be assured, because the crowd in there is a crowd who can talk and a crowd who can amen. So please do not let him down. And if I say a good word, I need to hear an amen, okay? Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Easy now. I'm get to all right, but hey, if I don't know you, Uh, Like it's been said, my name is Anthony. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Stones. Uh, It's truly my honor and my privilege to get up here and just to share God's word with you all. Um, As Pastor Seth has kind of alluded to so far in our service, uh, we are talking about identity tonight. Okay, but I kind of want to pause and kind of look into that a little bit, Uh, especially for those of you who maybe have grown up in the church, been coming to church for a while, been a Christian for a good amount of time. Uh, When you hear that, okay, we're talking about identity tonight, or even if you've been looking ahead and you're a discipleship guy and you know this, you may be already thinking in your head, okay, I know the kind of the gist of where he's going to be going with this. Uh, I know he's probably going to say, I'm a child of God. He's going to say that God loves me and all this stuff, like, this is who I am in Jesus. Uh, This is good, let's do it, but I I kind of know where he's going kind of thing. Um, To that, I would say, all those things they just said are true. Those are things we're going to amen all day long here at Living Stones. Those are a part of our identity. But for tonight, if I'm being honest, I'm not up here looking to tell you what your identity is. I'm looking to tell us, I'm looking to tell y'all what our identity is, alright? Because here's the thing, uh, sometimes when it comes to reading this book, when it comes to church, when it comes to uh, going towards our relationship with God, uh, it's really easy to kind of do it with a very individualistic mindset. The kind of thinking, okay, I'm going to go to church, and this is what I want to get out of it, and this is how the pastor spoke towards me, or community group, this is how I was served at community group, this is how I feel, so on and so forth. And again, those are good things. Sometimes it's really good to to go and have some one-on-one time with God, have that silence and solitude, that's fine. But, I would say... That if we truly want to be a church who has a healthy understanding of God's heart from this book, has a healthy context for what he's trying to say to us, for the majority of it, we can't go into it with an individualistic mindset. That's not the theology of the overall Bible. In fact, the theology for the overall scripture, you can even see on the screen, is a theology for community. For example, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19, the Apostle Paul says that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Out of all the other times the Apostles in the New Testament say you or your, they're actually talking about you as far as being a collective group of church people. Except for that one time that I just mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6.19. That's one of the only times... The word you is referred to you as an individual. The other times, he's talking to the church. And when I mean the church, I don't mean just living stones. I mean the universal body of God's people. So we need to keep that in mind going forward if we're truly going to understand what it looks like to live out our identities. Another way to say it, if God owned a restaurant, there'd be no such thing as a table for one. Okay? not how God rules. So then, what God wants us to see, and this is my main point for today, so if you're taking notes, this is for you. What God wants us to see is that our identity is in His community. Okay, let me say that again. Our identity is in His community. This means without Jesus, in a spiritual sense, our identity would be that of an outsider far away from God's love as possible, on the outskirts of our relationship with him. But because of Jesus, we get to be brought into God's love, we get to be brought into something greater, and we get to be built up with one another in this new identity. That's why we come, and that's why we worship Jesus every single week. And with this identity, there's uh, just a few things that we get to live in as people in God's community things that we get to have hope in, um, such as the fact that being a part of God's community and seeing that as who we are means that we get to be a part of a new family. That's one aspect of it. And that's pretty big. That's pretty important because I talk to a lot of people here at the church, and I get to hear a lot of people's stories and their childhoods and their relationship with their families growing up. And unfortunately, a lot of Of those stories and their relationship with their families aren't always the best. They aren't always the nicest stories. Uh, For example, I've been meeting with this 14 year old, mind you, uh, in my office for the last couple weeks or so. And uh, his story is that of his mom, when he was growing up, would bring her girlfriends over to their house and they would get drunk around him and then they would abuse him. This lasted until pretty recently, actually. But uh, through some good circumstances, this 14-year-old was able to go live with his grandma, and his mom moved to the East Coast. Uh, But within the last couple of weeks, his mom, out of nowhere, has decided she's going to fly back to Elko because she wants to regain custody of him. And he has a lot of anxiety over that, and he has a lot of fear of his mom, his own mother, showing up at his doorstep. Now, how sad is that? His own mother is causing him unrest. But what we got to talk about is, even though that's part of his story, his family growing up was broken. Because of this young man's identity in God, he is brought into a good family with brothers and sisters who truly do love him. And a good father who, despite how his earthly mother treated him, was always there for him, loving him, Endlessly, And he was able to leave my office having hope. We have a new family. On top of that, we also have a new nation as far as people in God's community. Uh, and some of us really need to hear that right now, especially with everything going on in the news, with everything <laughs> taking place in a few weeks in our political culture. Um, we as Christians need to remember that because of our identity, our hope doesn't rest in what happens here in this state, in this country, and even this world, because we know through the goodness of Jesus Christ, eventually our home is going to be in the new nation with him in paradise. Or if Jesus so chooses to come back to this world, and he's going to make all this new, and this is going to be his new nation. That's what we live in to Christians. Now, again, some of us really need to hear that, and so next week I'm going to talk a lot more on that, but that's just a little two-second nugget about that. But we have hope, knowing that this is not our final home. We have a new nation to look forward to. And then finally, because of our identity, we have a new call. Which means, for some of us, we can look at ourselves in the mirror, and we can know that there's actually a reason why we got out of bed this morning. God has something for us. Even though it's hard for us to see, what am I here for? What am I supposed to do? I'm so confused. Because of our identity in Jesus, God says, I have a purpose for you. I have a life I want to invite you into, and it's good, and it's going to be an awesome journey, so get ready and bubble up. That's a part of our identity. Our identity is in his community. So as we work through this text that Pastor Seth just read in uh, uh, 1 Peter 2, we're going to see exactly how this identity plays out. And in order to do this, we're going to break it down into three sections. I put it on the screen just in case you like taking notes. We're going to see through Peter's words that our identity as a community is in something... That through our identity in his community, we are something. And as we live out our identity in his community, our response is to something. And if you're not a Christian here, uh, I just want to talk to you for a sec. Uh, What I'm talking about tonight is the church of God, the Christians, uh, the believers, if you will. Uh, But... Uh, I don't believe that God has things happen by accident. I believe that he has you here tonight hearing his words because all this goodness that comes with living in his community, living in his identity, I believe he has you here because he wants you to hear that. Maybe he wants to invite you into that tonight. Um, So maybe just kind of follow along, pray, talk to him while we're talking, uh, and we'll see what God has for you. But uh, let's go ahead and start with our first little point there. Our identity as a community is built on the cornerstone. Our identity as a community is built on the cornerstone. Let's see this from Scripture, verse 6. Peter says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Uh, so what Peter's actually doing here, maybe you can kind of see it broke up in quotations uh, in your Bibles. Uh, he's actually quoting an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah, who's kind of talking about the same idea when it comes to our identity. Uh, this is what Isaiah has to say in Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. This is where Peter got this from. Isaiah says, therefore, thus says the Lord our God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not haste. Now, Peter, Isaiah, both of these prophets are talking about the importance and the beauty of the cornerstone. The importance and beauty of the cornerstone. And if you don't know what a cornerstone is, let me just put a picture on the screen. That big block in the middle, that's the cornerstone. And uh, according to one historical construction uh, site I visited this week, uh, the definition of the cornerstone they give is... Uh, The foundation stone, it could also be called, of a historic building is the most important part of construction, as it is the first stone to be set and determines the position of all the pieces to be laid afterwards. Now, for us, the church, this is where it comes into our lives. The climax of all the biblical references speak of Jesus Christ himself being our chief. The foundation of the metaphor temple of God or God's people rests on Jesus as our foundation. The weight of the building can rest in Him because He is truly good and significant for us. Amen. Jesus Christ Church is our cornerstone, is our foundation, is at the root of our identity. Okay? We have to get that before we get anything else. Um, If we look at this, we can see that without that stone right there, all those other bricks around it, uh, it, it, they wouldn't last very long if that cornerstone wasn't in the right place. For us in our identity, we don't make it very far living out this truth if we don't know that our cornerstone, Jesus Christ, is there at the very base and the very foundation. Amen. So what Peter wants us to do with that in mind is look at two things, really ask ourselves two questions. One, are we truly building on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone? And two, not only are we called to build on him, but are we finding him precious? Are we finding him beautiful and (coughs) worthy of building upon? Now, you really have to look at that one. Are you finding the cornerstone beautiful and precious? Because if you're not, but you still can answer the first question, yes, then you're building on top of very... Maybe legalistic I feel like I have to do this, like this is what God wants me to do, so I guess I'll follow Jesus kind of thing. But if we build on him while seeing him as precious and beautiful, then it's a joy to have Jesus at the base of our foundation and to live a life for him. So church for you, think about it. I'm impressed with this. Are we building on Jesus Christ the true cornerstone, and are we seeing him beautiful and precious? And I have to ask that question because here's the truth. If Jesus Christ is not the cornerstone in which we're building upon, something else or someone else is. Because it's literally impossible not to have a cornerstone at the base of your foundation. Okay? You can't do it. Something has to be there. And the danger of having anything else but Jesus Christ at the base of your identity is... You better be absolutely sure that whatever you're putting in that spot is going to be there for the long haul, is not going to get destroyed, get lost, die, or change. Better be sure, because guess what? If the cornerstone shifts, the entire building is going to shift. If the cornerstone crumbles, the entire uh, entire building is going to crumble. That's why we need to make sure our cornerstone is a strong foundation. And it will last and be sufficient. Amen. And as Peter says, if anything other than Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, it might seem good for a while, but eventually it's going to crumble and it will leave us full of shame. That's the reality. Um, but with this, we also have to look at the fact that verse eight, Peter starts talking about the fact that this cornerstone, Jesus Christ, has a tendency to uh, has some opposition to cause some stumbling. Okay, when I talk about stumbling, I'm not meaning to stumble into sin. What I'm talking about the fact is either you're building on Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, or you're not. Okay, there's no middle area. There's no. I'm kind of, sort of. You know what Jesus? It's either black or white. Yes or no. And for some people, Peter says having Jesus be the only way I mean, doesn't fly for some people. That's kind of offensive. That's kind of a hard pill to swallow. And it's kind of like a. It's kind of like a magnet. You ever see, You know what a magnet does? It, attracts and then on the other side of the magnet it repels, right? So when it comes to Jesus Christ being like that magnet, his goodness was going to attract and you know you try to pull from a magnet, it's strong, it's sturdy, it's there, it's stuck to the it's stuck to it. But on the other side, you try to put that on the opposite side that repels and it's hard to get it to it because it's just going to force it away. That's kind of how the good news of Jesus is. For some, it attracts. For others, it repels. And here's why. If his firmness and stability, this is Christ, is such that it can sustain all who build on him, that's also going to mean his hardness is so great that it will break and tear to pieces all who resist him. For there is no medium between these two things. We must be built on him or be dashed against him. Theologian, one theologian, Martin Luther says this. He says, When the chips are down, what do you say vindicates you? At the end of the day, nothing left, just you alone. Who do you say that you are? When you have nothing left, what do you put your hope in? At the end of the day, what do you say makes up who you are? That's your cornerstone. And for the church, we know that it can only be Jesus Christ. Uh, let's look at the second part. Through our identity and his community, we are the chosen people of God. Through our identity in his community, we are the chosen people of God. Look at verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not received, not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, you are chosen by God simply because He loves you. Some of you, especially those of you who have been abandoned or rejected, need to hear that. Church, you have full access to a good God who loves you. Those of you who feel unworthy, or alone, need to hear that. Church, through God's grace, you are a holy people. Those of you who feel dirty or impure or full of shame need to hear that. Church, God desires for you to be His, and some of you who are feeling unwanted, abused, broken, wicked, doubting, lost need to hear. That fact. Once we were in the darkness. But because of God. He has brought us into the marvelous light. And we need to remember that church. We need to remember all of that. Because if we're truly to live out this identity. That we have as God's community. All of those true memories that I just spoke of. Need to sink into our heart. And become a part of who we are. Because our memories actually have a significant influence on our future, okay? Our memories play a big part in how our tomorrow is going to shape us. Um, Let me give an example to kind of illustrate this. Uh, There was a a woman, and uh, she was married to this guy. Um, This guy was awesome. Uh, Great guy, loved her, served her, took her to church. Like, literally everything on paper pointed to the fact that this guy was great, model husband. But for some reason, this woman had uh, real trouble getting close to her husband, like really close to him. There seemed to be like a wall between them at all times, uh, even their intimacy was lacking and she couldn't understand why, because he was a great guy, he treated her wife right, she really did love him, but for some reason, I, I just can't get as close to him as a wife probably should to her husband. So she went to church and she met with one of her uh, church leaders and uh, they actually started talking about some of her early life, some of her childhood. Uh, It turns out that when this woman was little, uh, about six or seven, uh, her dad, who she loved, a great dad, was always there for her up until that point. Uh, One day he just left Uh, without really saying anything. He just left the family. And uh, this hurt her, obviously. Her mom and her had to kind of work through this, but fast forward a few years later, her mom meets another really awesome guy. They get married, she now has a stepdad, and same thing, the stepdad's great, he's a good guy, she really likes him, he really likes her, but then a couple years later, kind of repeats itself, and her stepdad just leaves without any real warning. Then a couple years later, she's a teenager, and the exact same thing happens. Her mom meets a really great guy. She, This is good. I can get along with this guy. I like this guy. Not too long after that, he disappears as well. <coughs> so what her and her church leader were able to kind of look at was that the reason why she was having such trouble getting close to her husband was because her memories, starting all the way back as being a six-year-old, taught her that if you get close to a guy, you got to be careful because no matter how good they are, they're going to leave you one day, and it's not going to feel so good. And she didn't even really consciously think this when she was with her husband, but she knew it. It was in there, and it shaped how she was going to live out the future with her husband. So what she had to do is she had to take those horrible memories of her past not try to act like they never happened, but replace them with true good memories from who God says she is. She was able to look at the fact that even though her dad left, stepdads came and gone, God, the good father, was right there with her the entire time. He never left her. And even though she felt alone sometimes, she felt abandoned, God was always there for her and always going to be there for her, loving her with an endless love. And once she got that, once that reality became the center of her memories, guess what? She was able to go and go forward with her husband and they have a really great relationship right now. But she had to truly remember her identity in order for her tomorrow to be shaped in that way. So church, I want us to truly remember that we are loved by God that tomorrow we can live out what he has for us. So church, you were once not a people. But now you are God's people. Never forgive me. And then lastly, because our identity is in his community, our response is to live the life he's called us to. Our response is to live the life he's called us to. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God at the day of visitation. So when we read this, we're we're to look and to kind of take this uh, with two things in mind. Uh, The first thing is that having a gospel identity an identity rooted in jesus christ's cornerstone means we're to respond in a certain way okay it doesn't mean we sit and we say oh i know jesus loves me he's there for me he cares for me so i'll just kind of take that go to church sit in my hands and just kind of do the sunday thing no no god says if you truly have jesus at the foundation of your life the chief cornerstone is there then it's going to change how you live your life. And it's going to make you want to do something. And in particular, Peter says, the thing you're going to want to do is flee from the pa- passions of your flesh. Uh, pretty much what passions of your flesh is are just the things that we do that do not honor God, do not bring glory to God, do not point to Jesus Christ, the cheap cornerstone. The things this week that you probably did, nobody was around, nobody knew but you did them. The things for you as I'm talking about this that are going through your mind. That if I took your picture, put it on the screen right there, put your name, and then listed out those things you're probably thinking about right now. You would turn bright red and you would run out of here. Those are passions of the flesh. And God says, because of our identity in Him, we should turn from those things and turn to His goodness. That's His desire. And then, second, we are to remember that our identity is drastically opposite from that of the world. Okay? The world, the people who don't know God, they are living for entirely different things than God's people. So we can't be surprised when uh, the world and who they say they are and their identity looks different from ours and they don't coincide. Uh, We should remember that. In fact, we should remember that so far that Peter describes us as sojourners and exiles, which means that when it comes to us as Christians and our relationship with living in this world, we're to see ourselves as residential aliens, okay? (coughs) Residential aliens, meaning that we're here, we're going to live here, we're going to dwell here, but this is not our final home. This is not where we're getting our final sense of self-worth, our final identity, that's found in Jesus Christ. So let's live, let's serve, let's be a part of this world, but let's remember that this isn't the end of the road for us Christians. Okay? Now, what some churches do, uh, typically, when they take this type of theology, uh, they kind of move into two different camps with this. Uh, We have some churches who say, okay... Uh, So, we're not of this world, so we're just gonna kind of do this little holy huddle thing where us Christians will be our own little society, and the world, the music they listen to, the TV shows they watch, the places they go hang out, we don't want any part of that. We're just gonna kind of have this little Christian bubble right over here. Uh, The problem with that, big problems with that, rather. (laughs) is that that really goes against a lot of what God says we are to do as far as being involved with the world, being friends of those who don't know Christ, and uh, serving those who don't know Christ. So we can't have a little holy huddle. And with that, that just leads to a lot of fundamentalism, a lot of legalism, a lot of things that don't point to Jesus and His grace. Okay? But then you have the other side, the other people who say, okay, we're living in this world, so our church is going to be the cool church that just lets everybody come and everybody do what they want. You're out there doing that, man, we're not going to judge. You want to do that, sure, come on in. Anything to make everybody happy, let's just live in that way. The problem with that is that if you're the type of church that just kind of makes everybody happy and says yes to everybody then you're not going to face any opposition, okay? And it's interesting, kind of what Peter has to say in verse 12. He (coughs) says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. So it kind of seems like he's saying, if you're truly living out your identity for Jesus Christ, it's not an if, as far as the world opposes you. It's more like a when, okay? Our identity is going to cause opposition to a lot of people in the world. Your coworkers, family, etc. But here's what we do with that as we live out our identity. We We know that the Church of God doesn't look like any of those two churches I just described. The Church of God remembers that even though the world is going to oppose, we still need to dwell in the world and still be a part of the world. Living out our identities that God has given us, really putting our money or our amount is every single day, because it's the common grace of God that's going to lead to the fact that yes, the world will oppose us sometimes, but at the end of the day, through God and His grace, the world will also recognize us. So what's common grace? Common grace is the type of grace that God not only gives his people, but he gives to everybody in the whole entire world. His goodness, his beauty, all that, all people truly have because of God. And so even though your coworker, again, your family, a friend, opposes you sometimes because you find your identity in Jesus, <coughs> deep down, whether they're going to say it or not, whether they even know it or not, they will see truth. And us living out our identity, and they'll know that that truth is good because of God's grace. The coworker you have, Oh you're going to church tonight. It's football season, man. Like, what are you wasting your time doing that for? The co-worker is going to see that you have a, a true community here. And you have something really worth living here, living for here. And they're going to they're going to recognize that, that that's good. And They truly want that for themselves. That's why they're all over Facebook and joining different groups and joining the gyms because they're trying to find that sense of community. And you have it. Aw, man, you're not going to come out with us and talk to all these girls. You're going to go home and love your wife. Aw, man, you're lame. What are you doing? They're going to look. And deep down, they're going to know, hey, that guy's going home to serve and love his wife. Yeah, that's, that's a good guy. That's good. Oh, what? You're not going to come get wasted with us, man. You haven't lived until you can't even walk in the morning. Let's go. Let's party. Deep down, they're going to know through your life, through our life, through our living our identity, there truly is something more to what they're living for. And they want it. They desire that. And so we live our life to show the world, the goodness of God. Jesus himself says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know what, that day of visitation that Peter closes with in this passage, some scholars believe that that's talking about when Jesus comes back to the world and uh, he has a physical presence here once again. Uh, But I actually believe it's the day where that same non-Christian friend, family member you have, through you living out your identity, comes to God one day and says, yeah, uh, I I think I truly do want what you have, God. And God, through his love and his grace, comes (coughs) upon that person and welcomes them into the family. And we get to baptize them and we get to worship them. How powerful is that? How powerful is it that the fact that our identity can be used for God's glory even in the lives of those who oppose the church? And we desire to live this out because it all circles back to Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. It all goes back to the fact that we want to do this because Jesus, our cornerstone, truly is precious to us. He's so beautiful and so precious that for ourselves, we want to remember that. We want that to be the base of who we are. So that as we live our life day by day, we can always go back to the fact that we truly are loved by God. And that whatever happens, even if the building shakes, there's a storm. At the end of the day, we're still going to be standing because our cornerstone is solid. Hallelujah. And then for those, the world, the people who don't know Christ... He is so precious to us that we cannot help but want to show them how good having Jesus Christ as their cornerstone could be. Don't want to keep it to ourselves. Because when it comes to Jesus being that precious, good cornerstone, we have to remember that he wasn't always seen that. He wasn't always precious. There was a time when Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, was actually a man of rejection. Okay? You look at the scripture and you see that Jesus Christ, Son of God, came down to earth, lived perfectly, didn't commit one sin, thought, word, deed, he was pure and blameless throughout it all. But at the end of his life, the world look at, looked at him, shook their heads and said, no, we don't want him. We reject him. And this type of rejection isn't just him to the side. This was the type of rejection that took him, took the stone, threw him on the ground, beat him until he was a bloody mess, spat in his face, drove him through the dirt, nailed him to a wooden cross, and watched him die through suffocation. Jesus faced that rejection. But we have hope because we know the rest of the story. We know that three days later, our cornerstone rose from the grave, And he lives today. So that means, us, people who felt rejection, felt alone, felt as outsiders, we get to go to God and hear the words, you are not rejected, you are accepted by me. We get to go stand before God, despite all of our sins, despite all of our secrets, and we can look at him and hear the words from him, I choose you, and you are precious to me because our cornerstone is so good. And because of this, our identity is always going to be back in Him, back in His community. Through Him, our identity as a community means that we are going to be living here remembering the fact that we, as God's church, are chosen and precious. And because of this, we as a community live out the life. He calls us to. And one way we look to live this out every single week is by coming to these tables up here and those towards the back and by taking the Lord's Supper. And what this does is we, as God's people, take the bread, take the wine, and we remember who we are in Jesus Christ. We remember that because of Him being rejected, we are accepted. Because of Him dying as a bloody mess, totally undesirable, we are chosen and precious to him forever and ever. Amen. And this is also why we stand up together and make our way to the table together. I know some churches do it a little bit differently, but because a part of our identity means we are in his community, we as a community remember who we are together. And this is also why every single week at Living Stones, we ask those of you who aren't Christians to stay seated in the because, as Christians come to these tables, this is uh, them confessing their identity in the true cornerstone. So if that's not who you are, if that's not your identity, then it really wouldn't make much sense for you to come and to proclaim that. But, like I said at the very beginning of the sermon, I truly do believe that God has you here. Because uh, all those good things we talked about, He wants that for you. He wants you to be a part of the community. So, maybe in this time, you sit in your chair, you talk to God, and you kind of see what He's inviting you into. So, church, let me pray. Then you're going to go to the table as a community, remember your identity. And as you do that, I'm going to read some pieces of scripture over you. Some pieces of scripture that actually encourage us in our identity in God. So, hear these words and be encouraged. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for you, for your love. For the fact that we can know that our foundation is on solid ground, being yourself. That no matter what happens, no matter how much we shake and turn and get blown against the wind, that we're always going to be standing at the end of the day because of you. We thank you for that. Father, please help us remember that so that we can live out the life that you have for us. A life where we get to serve you every single day, serve our city, and just know that there's people out there who, who need your identity, to need your foundation. And through us, you, God, we can show them how good you truly are. Forgive us for the times when we put other things, other people uh, in the cornerstone spot. But thank you so much that even though we may do that time and time again, you're not going anywhere. You haven't left us. You haven't given up on us. That you are so solid that you even lasted.